You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey queers, welcome back. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join us as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folk from Brooklyn cabaret performers to people backstage and on Broadway. For many queers, theater has been an escape. This podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're heading as a community while queering the canon along the way. Hi, Megan. Hey, Ollie. How's it going? Oh, it's... I'm here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, still spring. At least it's a little nicer mm-hmm. out. I don't know. Yeah, I'm loving the weather, but... So one of my favorite things about the warm weather is getting to see incredible pictures of busy on Instagram. So <laughs> I wondered if there was any busy updates that you wanted to share with our listeners. Uh, well, we did just release um, a new exclusive photo shoot that my partner and I took <laughs> on Sunday, which happened to be Easter. Um, also my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. Um, yeah. But he, Lucy got him a lovely set of bunny ears that have like purple lining and a little purple bandana that says happy Easter with some like animal critters on it. And then we took him to a flowery spot and put Easter eggs that we already had all around. You just have to go look at it. It's ridiculous. And yeah, it brings me a lot of joy. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. And like what a good little boy just sitting there posing for the f- I was I was amazed by that it, it looked very professional like like when we were kids and we had to like go to Sears or JC Penney's and get photos taken it was it was that vibe he got a lot of treats so I think he was yeah he was set. uh we are fully those people it's I'm so glad though because you have the cutest dog so uh and how what's new with Indy how's she doing She's doing pretty good. It was her first birthday this last week. Happy birthday, Indy. Yeah, I know. I can't believe she's one. Um, but it was a Wednesday, and I feel like even for dogs, Wednesday, Wednesday birthdays are kind of <laughs> weird. Like, there wasn't – we didn't – she got some new toys. We went to the um, the pet store, and, of course, when they heard it was her birthday, she got a bunch of free crap. Aww. And, yeah, so it was it was a good day. And she got to have some peanut ice cream, which – it's special dog version of it without sugar. Probably what humans should eat too, but it's <laughs> just without the crap. Um, but yeah, she's doing good. It's It's been nice to get outside and enjoy the weather and have like 
an excuse. Like you have to walk your dog. So yeah, got to be outside. I'm glad this is turning into an Indian busy podcast, but yeah, <laughs> it's what the people want and need. So the next show we're going to talk about is Galatea or Whatever You Be by MJ Kaufman and directed by Will Davis. This was presented by Women's Project Theater in collaboration with Red Bull Theater. And just to give you a little description of the show, Galatea is a trans love story set against the backdrop of a climate crisis. Loosely based on John Liley's 1585 play Galatea, Galatea tells the story of two young people who escape a virgin sacrifice by dressing up as boys and running away to the woods where they meet and fall in love. And a play that I knew nothing about before coming into this, which Same. I probably should have looked up a little bit more about Galathea, <laughs> but it was also nice to approach it with fresh eyes. Um, yeah. Oh, and I should also shout out that it has uh, former show guests Anish Sheth and Ty Defoe in it, both doing incredible performances in very mm. great roles for them. So. <laughs> I haven't seen a play in a long time where it's like half about the gods fucking shit up. And <laughs> I forgot how much fun that can be, especially uh -huh. when it's a queer story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the style of this was really fun and campy um, and a way to kind of talk about feelings and emotions in a way that was very blunt, <laughs> but felt appropriate to the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I texted you during it. I'm like, you're so earnest. Like everything is so <laughs> like on the surface. And um, it'd be interesting to see how it's done in a theater. I think it's hard to be anything but earnest sometimes over Zoom. Mm. Um, but it was just like very endearing at the same time, even though it's kind of this really terrifying story about virgin sacrifices and <laughs> climate crisis. But it was also like weirdly sweet. Too. Yeah. I, yeah, I wanted all the characters to to be together, first of all. <laughs> right. Um, it, yeah, it reminded me a lot of um, Taylor Max. Um, oh, Taylor Max, um, the good person of Szechuan. Mm. Uh, also where gods are coming down and fucking with people um, and gender is just like totally blown open. Yeah, I appreciated like the... Um... It was so layered that you like lost track of where you started in terms of like the girls dressing as boys, dressing as girls, thinking they're boys. And it's just like, it was so great. It got to the point where you couldn't follow it and it didn't matter. And that was yeah. kind of the point I'm guessing, um, which was really fun. Yeah, I was nervous when it started and they introduced all the characters the actors were playing. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many characters. How am I ever going to keep this straight? But you know, Will Davis did an amazing job of directing it, and it was very easy to follow. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And the plants helped. Oh, my gosh. There was such <laughs> great plant acting. <laughs> um, three of the actors played nymphs, and they all used their home plants to – oh, it was great. <laughs> I mean, like, leave it to queers to just have, like, amazing, like, home plants laying around. Like, no one just had, like – like, here's a, like, vase of flowers. No, these were, like, sh Anisha had, like, a shrub. <laughs> like, yeah. It was, like, a full... Just like, a scepter. Yeah. <laughs> there was a point where the two, um, the girls dressed as boys, dressed as girls, whatever, um, were in the woods together, and they both had the same, like, aloe-looking plant around each other. And I'm like, oh, did they both already have those? Or did, like, Women's Project send them those plants as, like, set decor? <laughs> 
it's like the conspiracy of like everyone has the same queer tattoo everyone has the same snake plant (laughs) (laughs) so great and yeah i I was texting you all i was like this is like cottage core the play (laughs) like it's just like (laughs) queers in the like with the nymphs specifically like we're in the woods and we're chased but we love diana and sometimes we like hook up with women i'm like this is so interesting oh my gosh every time they said um hold on lesbian separate is solidarity yes i laughed out loud and they they said it many times and i laughed every single time it's so good that mantra and like the way that i don't i haven't seen something that can like use farce to make fun of like turf mentality and um this was great (laughs) i was Uh like this is what we need right now Yeah, and it had, you know, the cast is full of um, trans or non-binary or gender non-conforming folks, and everyone played every kind of gender, and yeah, it really didn't matter, you know, how you identified. Everyone was just all over the place. Yeah, in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. And there was some great examples of our favorite doobie-doobie-doo concept of um, (laughs) Galatea and Philida being like do I want to be you do I want to be with you like I'm not sure what's going on here and like figuring out in between it it was really fun oh the scene where they're both like oh look at that boy over there I'm gonna learn how to be a boy by following them and right oh my gosh I related to that so much I'm like oh I look to other like mass queer people all the time I'm like what do they do what are they wearing totally (laughs) yeah yeah there was a great line I forget if Galatea uh, Philida said it, but they were talking about like what they want and their different desires. And one of them just says, I want whatever you are. And I was like, mm. oh, that's like a good summary of just like queer love in general. Mm-hmm. You have to shout out that you're big ship from the show. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm going <laughs> to read you my notes that I took. And this I, I have like character lines for each character. And then I take notes as the show goes on. So I have dads. First note. Are they going to hook up? Question mark. Next line. Would you steer my boat with me? Next line. They going to (laughs) fuck. I was so excited. I don't know why I wanted these dads to hook up so much. And I'm so glad that it like came true. Yes. There was some, some great chemistry there. (laughs) Really, really was. It was really cute. And those two, Ty and TL were in um, straight white men together. uh, And I saw TL. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Oh, and I really, um, I also enjoyed that Anish was the kind of the, the to the audience contemporary voice at the end, um, mm-hmm. which it worked for like the, the comedic style of the, of the play where her character is like, don't fall into the trope of trans people trying to deceive us, you know, and like kind of pointing out all of these things that happened in the play that was like, clearly this is for us to make fun of and not something we're trying to perpetuate. Mm -hmm. Um, Like parents of trans people taking some time to get on board was another thing that she shouted out. Yeah, that was great. The voice of the goddess. I love that the there in the woods there was like a queer club that the the girl boys went to and um but and there is a a bar called the woods in Brooklyn that I know had like a queer women's night on like a Wednesday and I always wanted to go but it's in Brooklyn on a Wednesday and I I, yeah I can't do that. (laughs) 
I went once and it was great. And I'm like, as I'm there, I'm like, I'm going to go to this all the time. And I went one time. <laughs> if I lived in Brooklyn, maybe, but yeah. yeah, there's no parties up here. We talk about this all the time. Yeah. But I hope that the, that party was based on that club. Yeah. Just more disguises and gender fuckery. Um, very delightful and yeah, I, I don't think I've laughed out loud at a show like that in a while, so really enjoyed yeah, it. Definitely a top quarantine show for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Well, for our action of the app, I wanted to share uh, something else I've been doing in our community um, in Washington Heights. Uh, the church that I go to, Super Queer Fort Washington Church, if any queers out there are looking for a community like that. Um, they launched a community fridge. So I just wanted to share a little bit about the community fridge network. There are so many in the city. I'm sure many of you guys have uh, been by them and and seen. um, They're often like beautifully decorated by local artists. But basically the idea is give what you can, take what you need. What I'm learning is that there are many ways that you can help out with community fridges. They need people to stop by and clean. They need people to stop by and organize. Like who doesn't love a nice, beautiful, organized fridge where you can find everything that you need? Um, They need folks to help unload cars. If you're one of those magical people that has a car and you can do deliveries, that's great too. So I just want to encourage folks if they want to do something small in their neighborhood to check out nycfridge.com, find your local fridge, and then check out their Instagram. Sometimes just sharing a post on Instagram to let people know that it's in the neighborhood and they're accepting donations could be super helpful. So we'll link to that in our show notes. Megan, I'm so excited now to share this interview with our our next guest, uh, maybe Burke. Maybe and I worked together a long time ago on to create a show called the birds and the bees on a bridge and reconfigured uh and it's been i've learned a lot from them so i'm excited to share their more of their knowledge so maybe burke is an award-winning actor writer and human rights advocate always interested in the stories that haven't been told on tv maybe has appeared in rami aquafina is Nora from queens and tales of the city off broadway safe word red emma and the mad monk Maybe has spoken on several panels and various platforms from BuzzFeed to BroadwayCon. Their solo show, Love Letters to Nobody, won the 2017 Fresh Fruit Spirit Award for fostering pride, survival, history, and progress. They are also a core trainer with the Transgender Training Institute and the founder of the Trans Literacy Project. Well, maybe welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We always start our show by asking our guests to share their name, their pronouns, and anything else they'd like to share about how they identify. Yeah, um, my name is Maybe Burke. Uh, my pronouns are they or she, and I'm an actor, a writer, and a human rights advocate um, who does a lot, a lot of things outside of those titles. But those are the titles <laughs> um, I most comfortably wear these days. <laughs> That uh, links very nicely to our first question. Um, oh. We, <laughs> uh, maybe, and I worked together uh, with Honest Accomplice Theater for a long time. That was like six years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Right. 
Um, but back then, I, I think you were identifying yourself more as a, a director and a choreographer, and, and you also were a lighting designer for one for our shows. So you, many, that, many that, talents. That true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you talk about your transition into being becoming more of an actor and a writer, and how that happened? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, first, I have to appreciate um, the fact that you're asking me about my identity shifting and about my transition, and we're not talking about gender. <laughs> I just love that moment. Um, but yeah, um, my degree is in directing. My heart is in directing. Um, and when we were working together, Holly, it was, I was right out of college. I think that was like, the year after college, I started working with Honest Accomplice. And I was kind of like trying to get my feet wet in downtown theater and things like that. And I don't know if it was a matter of me being very young or a matter of me being trans, but mm -hmm. I noticed that a lot of people weren't going to hire me as a director and they were going to hire me as an actor. And mm -hmm. I saw that like directly in some ways when I would apply to direct a show and then I would get turned down for directing it and then offered an audition. And like, I wasn't even naming myself as an actor at the time. Like oh, wow. mm -hmm. when I started working with Honest Accomplice, I wasn't even supposed to be in our shows. I was originally hired as an <laughs> associate director and assistant stage manager. Right. Um, and then Rachel and Maggie kind of roped me into performing, <laughs> um, which I'm very grateful for. And they kind of like gave me my voice back as an actor. But for a long time, I wasn't seeing roles that were roles I wanted to be playing. And so when I was in college and like early adulthood, I didn't see opportunities for me as an actor. I didn't see that as like a possibility. Um, but then I also stopped seeing possibilities for me as a director, unless the show specifically dealt with, like, gender or queerness in, like, very explicit ways where they, like, knew they had to hire somebody like me. Um, but even then, I found, or at least I started feeling like people didn't want to hire me as an actor, or, I'm sorry, people didn't want to hire me as a director because they couldn't prove that they had a trans person on the team unless I was on their stage. Wow. Um, and I started getting that my image was more valuable to people than like my ideas and my other talents. Um, not that I don't have talent as an actor. Like I think I'm pretty good at that. Um, <laughs> Clearly. But like, I Definitely. thank you. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I got a very definitive message from the industry or at least from the part of the industry I was navigating at the time that like my value was on stage and that's where people were prioritizing me and I do love acting it's just like it's a thing that I was scared of for a long time and that there weren't roles that felt like me for a while and so I didn't know that I could do it and I mean it took me until 2018 to actually start pursuing like mainstream commercial gigs as an actor full time. Um, so we're talking about like, when did I graduate college? Like 
there's like a four or five year gap there of like me getting a degree in directing to me then kind of going backwards from what most people's like most directors have a degree in acting and then like work as an actor for a number of years and then like transition to being a director um and I kind of went backwards from that and who knows we'll see if I go back and swing back to directing um when I'm older but for right now I'm kind of playing that ball field of like people want to put me on stage so they can prove that they have me on their on their team and on their staff and if that's what I need to do to gain a platform for my advocacy and to be on stage so that more people listen to the things that I'm yelling about <laughs> then I'm gonna use it you know and, and like heaven forbid that there are two trans or non-binary people on a team right, <laughs> right. yeah like i can direct a show and we can hire another trans actor to play yeah. the <laughs> do you feel like the roles have improved or what are your thoughts on that that's a good question <laughs> improved is an interesting word yeah. um i would say the roles have multiplied <laughs> Like, there are more opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, whether or not I think the roles have improved is up for grabs. Um, definitely in TV, they have. And, like, opportunities for trans actors are definitely more human on TV than they are in film or on stage. As far as theater's concerned, like... Barely. Like, opportunities mm -hmm. for me in theater are really slim. Um, and usually end up doing more harm than good, you know? Like, whether or not the role is improving, that like, that part of the question. I'm like, I mean, there are roles that I could play, but, like, I'd have to compromise a lot of myself and like my morals in order to play some of the roles that I've been offered auditions for and things. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm seeing obviously more opportunities for me to work than I was six, seven years ago. Um, but also, I mean, most of the roles that I'm most excited by aren't intended for trans people. And like most of the roles that most of the roles I've played on TV, they weren't looking for a trans person. I, I guess so. Oh, sorry. No, finish that thought. <laughs> no, I was just saying that so like, they just cast me. Yeah, as they um, should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of leads into our next question, which is I mean, you've created many solo performances for yourself many solo pieces which makes sense after all that you just shared with us about about the availability of roles um so how has your writing process changed over the years how is it different to write for yourself versus writing for others yeah um it's funny because i mean holly and i worked together with honest accomplice where i got to basically write my own role within this show um, with my good friend Austin Click, who was um, double cast with me. And actually, when I started writing my first solo show, I wasn't planning on performing it. 
I was writing it for Austin and oh, I, I was writing. That. Yeah. I, I don't know if they know that either, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was writing that show. It was all my experiences. It was all out of my own life, but I didn't want to act at the time. And I wanted to help support the career of another trans femme in my life. So I was writing it for Austin to do. And then the year that it got picked up to be put in a festival, Austin moved to California. <laughs> oh, wow. And I was like, well, I guess I have to do this now. Um <laughs> But then doing it, I mean, taught me how to act again, right? Like being able to play myself and just like tell my own stories on stage reminded me why I loved acting and like what I was doing it for and helped me like learn and shape the ways that I tell a story. And so like, there's like multiple parts of love letters to nobody that I didn't know were funny until the audience laughed at me. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I thought that was like a deeply profound line. That's not. Cool. <laughs> oh no. Which like also is just like perfect for the ways that I talk about my love and sex lives. But, um, <laughs> but it helped me like, actually getting to perform the work helped me like understand the ways that my writing is received because I was, I was confronted with like the audience laughing directly at me. And then I was like, Oh, I have to move through that feeling mm -hmm. while continuing to say the words that I've written <laughs> and figuring that out. Do you have uh, a piece coming up or something you're working on now? No. Um, I mean, like, yes, and no, like, there's a piece that I wrote in college, actually, that a friend of mine and I have been, like, low-key turning into a musical and potentially doing at some point, but also in the past year, I've been so overwhelmed just trying to, like, eat three meals a day that, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. feel like I don't have anything coming up, necessarily. Yeah. No, that's so real. Um, but while we've been in this past year, I feel like I've watched so much TV while we've been home. And, and I, I keep watching and I'm like, oh, there's maybe. <laughs> um, so you've been on our screens many times uh, during our COVID TV watching. Um, how has been working in TV been compared to theater for you? Oh, so much better. <laughs> oh, this is like either. across like, the board everyone we talk to sadly I mean, it's, true. it's like literally um like I've made comparisons like I did a show on HBO I ended up being cut from the show so I'm not actually like on the show I had one line my line was literally excuse me um <laughs> right and I was paid more than I more than my paycheck for two weeks in an off Broadway play. Wow, <laughs> that's terrible. I was I was like assigned a personal like PA who it was like snowing the day we were filming, so there was a PA 
to hold an umbrella over me every time we walked outside wow. wouldn't hold it over himself. And I was like, you can come under here. And he was like, no, I can't. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh <laughs> like they Ubered me home from set. I like got a free meal because like you, they serve lunch on set and things. Like there was literally the day before I was on set, their intimacy coordinator called me to like, check in if there was anything that I needed to make sure that I was comfortable on set in terms of like being misgendered and things. And like, she had a conversation with the assistant director and like everybody was like corrected if they said something wrong or like let know beforehand talking to me and things. And I was like, wow. I literally <laughs> just got chills. <laughs> All of this stuff wow. that I was like, oh, like I could be the protagonist in a play off Broadway and my dressing room is like whatever is in the back of the theater we're lucky if we have a light and a mirror <laughs> and like there's nobody holding an umbrella over me when there's precipitation like that's not a thing and I'm like I'm like walking around this tv set my like my character's name was literally like patient like I didn't even have like a name <laughs> and I was walking around feeling like I was like Patty LePuck and Pone like going around <laughs> with a PA holding an umbrella over me and I was like who am I <laughs> that's the way you're treated on TV if you say a word you're royalty like you are a principal you're important which is just like wow. so bonkers to me that like yeah it's just like the treatment of their staff and just like of the actors is like such a different vibe than you get in theater hmm. yeah i wonder like the person holding your umbrella i wonder like are they treated as well too like so that's the thing of like I'm, right better I'm, than other theater pas i hope so. right, like i've been that person in theater circles too because like i used to like assist a production manager and i used to be on like load-ins for all of this stuff so i'm always i'm sure that i'm very respectful of them and like very nice with them and things and mm -hmm. i'm like okay like what do you need in this moment <laughs> um, because i see that side of it but like for the most part, yeah, like on sets that I've been on, it seems like those people are just like part of the family and are fully like seen and respected. Obviously, like I'm, I have my own point of view on that. So like things are probably different when I'm not in the room potentially. Um, but I've also been lucky that I've worked on shows that are really like families and shows that are like, tight-knit crews that seem to be like well-oiled machines and there doesn't seem to be a lot of like drama or anything behind <laughs> the scene do you have a favorite project that you've worked on favorite tv project i don't like to have like favorites of anything um but that's just my brain being weird but i mean i was very spoiled with my first tv show i think um which was like another one-liner that i had but it was on Tales of the City on Netflix. And I was watching that with Holly. And Holly was <laughs> like, yeah, there's a <laughs> Oh, amazing. Um, but that's the situation where, like, the set was incredibly queer. Like, there's 
plenty of trans and queer people in the show, but also around and beyond behind the scenes. And there were like camera people and PAs and like all kinds of folks wearing pronoun pins and with like trans flags patched onto their denim jackets. <laughs> um, and I was like, th that as my first experience on TV was like, oh, welcome home, you know? Where <laughs> um, like the showrunner came up to me when I was on set and was like, hey, just wanted to check in. Like, we know you use they, them pronouns, but this character uses she, her pronouns. Like, wanted to make sure that's comfy with you if we like use both on set or what's best for you. And I was like, nobody even refers to her in the script. Like that's <laughs> so thought out. I say like one line, Daniela Vega responds to me, and then I'm done. <laughs> but you're still gonna check in about my character's pronouns? I was like, okay. Wow. Cool. And it was just like such a nice, fun experience, even though I was hysterically crying all day because that was what the role <laughs> called for. <laughs> but it was just like so nice to be like I also got to hang out with Victor Garber a lot because we were it what was, a dream. He was also in the scene and we were like coming from the same place as we entered for it. Um, so like between takes and everything, I just got to like chill and hang out with Victor Garber, oh my who God. also was then like kind of like showing me the ropes and like being, there were like people recognizing him and like trying to like talk to him and things. And he was like, yeah, you should get used to this. And I was like, I'm sorry, Aww. is Victor Garber teaching me how to be famous right now? <laughs> Oh, like, this is kind of iconic <laughs> i have to share my victor garber story real quick when i was oh, in i was an intern for a broadway press office and it was like my first week and my only job was handing out tickets at this event and one of them was for victor garber and he walked up to me and said you look like you know what you're doing i think you have my tickets and that like set a tone for me like i love that this <laughs> continues with victor garber because i was like he thinks i know what i'm doing I do know what I'm doing. This is great. <laughs> if Victor Aww. Garber thinks you can, then you can. You can, yes. <laughs> uh, I I ran into him at the. <clears throat> I was uh, interning at Round or not intern. I worked at Roundabout and working their gala, and I was like walking to the Hammerstein Ballroom, and he like walked out, and he looked very like frustrated and in a hurry. But he saw me coming in and he like held the door open for me. So that was very kind. <laughs> so I love that everyone has a Victor Garber story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're all good. That's yeah. amazing. He's good people. Oh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> so, I th so it sounds like ultimately, would you enjoy working more than in TV or theater? <laughs> I mean, TV, right? Mm -hmm. For what? so many reasons, TV. Mm. But for so many other reasons, I wish theater was better to me because it's my first love, you know? Um, I've been performing on stages since the fourth grade, you know? <laughs> like, um, And there's, like, the thing of, like, live audiences that I, you don't get on TV. And it's, like... I, I don't know, like, the first... I mean, Rami was the first time I got to do, like, full scenes on TV and stuff. And though it was, like, really cool and, like, watching the cameras set up and, like, all those things is, like, so exciting and exhilarating and, like, a new world, 
I also felt like really lonely sitting in the backseat of that car because mm. there wasn't a live audience, you know, like I didn't have the energy of an audience. I just had like, there was just a radio in the cup holder where the director was <laughs> giving us direction. <laughs> um, and I was like, this is, it's a whole other ball field, right? It's a whole other like way of acting, but it's also a whole other way of like processing things where like, like I was saying with like love letters, like I got direct feedback from the audience on like right. whether or not I was doing a good job, you know, like you get direct like energy with an audience where you know if things are landing you know how like how well things are being translated if they're with you like all of that comes through in a live theater it's much harder to like gauge that kind of stuff on tv and I still feel like I don't really have a grasp for it um (laughs) that like I've been trying to like just navigate on the couple of shows I've been able to do. But like, if you want a sustainable career, if you want a retirement fund, if you want like (laughs) to do the thing and then have it seen by millions of people and you don't have to do it eight times a week, like, yeah, TV is, I don't want to say better, but it's better in a lot of ways. (laughs) Um, where there's also like the joy of doing the same thing eight shows a week and like finding nuances in it and all of that. But like, I don't know. I, I feel so like cast off by the theater community at large these days that like, I don't, I don't see myself succeeding in theater the way that I can see myself succeeding on TV. Yeah, I feel that. It's very real. All very real concerns. <laughs> I feel like we're we're slowly becoming a queer TV podcast based on what our guests have been telling us. <laughs> Sorry. We, no, go where the work is. It's Yeah. And theater's not treating anybody, right? <laughs> there are roles that I want to play in musicals and on Broadway, but I think that I need a series regular on TV first in order to get them at this point. And mm-hmm. I need to become somebody who can be stunt cast in because I don't think there, I mean, there are shows that I've been up for and like I've been in final callbacks for a couple of things, but like it's usually things that need me to be trans or like the casting director knows and trusts me. Right. You know, <laughs> It's never like they're looking for a woman, whatever that woman looks like, and I'm one of the people up for that. It's like they're looking for a white, skinny trans femme, you know, <laughs> like, or something like that. That, like, there's a lot more, I find at least there's a lot more like openness in the casting for TV shows. Even though TV still has, like, very narrow cast calls as well, you know, both sides of this conversation has its problems. Like, TV's not perfect, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm finding more opportunities on TV. And it sounds like a lot of people actually are in that similar mindset. Yeah. Yeah. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. And going back, well, starting to move a little more into talking about your advocacy work, um, but still talking about theater. Um, as the founder of the Transliteracy Project with Honest Accomplice Theater, can you talk a little bit about the pro- what the project is and the impact that you've seen through the project? Yeah. So we basically found that we did this show that Holly and I um, were in together called The Birds and the Bees Unabridged. And I played this character, Emerson, who was co-written with my friend Austin that I mentioned earlier. And we found that like after performances, people had a lot of follow-up questions about this non-binary character. Um, and a lot of people wanted more information about like trans identities and things. And I had wanted to start some kind of a way to teach those things that was like accessible and worthwhile because I had found like a bunch of videos on YouTube or like resources and like articles and things that I would have to be like oh yes this is great but I would change that one thing or like yes this but also this is important and that should be in there too and so I wanted to make one of those things where like I wouldn't have to make an amendment to it (laughs) Um, (laughs) and so we band together and made the transliteracy project which basically utilizes like camp and accessibility to go through like a general like trans 101 feel of like teaching people the right words to use and like how some trans and non-binary people use certain terminology and things like that um and most of it still holds up i mean like language shifts and changes really quickly and like um there's like a lot of like growth period for like the past five or six years um but most of it is like still pretty solid um that i'm actually pretty proud of um and we've been able to partner with the new york city commission on human rights and so anybody who takes um a gender based harassment training through them for their work um has to watch our like 3 minute video explaining what gender is um and then the rest of all of our videos are free on youtube for anybody to use our whole staff uses that training. <laughs> we did too, yeah. Um, I remember when the project first came out, though, it was kind of one of the first resources of its kind that was, I don't know, widely accessible, I guess. Yeah, I found, like, the things that I could find online weren't the full story, or, like, it would just be, like, 
a YouTuber talking about their own experiences in a way that like wasn't gonna fill a community, you know? And like that's like as like a white, skinny, able-bodied, neurotypical, cute person, I'm very aware that like if I just sat in my room and made those videos alone, it would be biased. It would be it wouldn't be the whole story. It wouldn't be effective. Um, and so we were able to, I mean, like Maggie, Rachel, and I wrote most of that script um, to like shape what the episodes would look like. But then in the room on the day of, we were able to have people be like, mm, I don't think that's how I would say that. Like, I would judge it this way. And like, we would like smooth it out that way. Um, and so we got to have all of the voices that were speaking all of this like contribute to the language we were using and the ways we were talking about these words in a way to make sure that we were covering everybody's experiences and we not i mean not everybody because we obviously can't have everybody in those videos <laughs> but like everybody in the room um got a say and we were able to like sit down and like stop filming for a second and be like what's the best way to go about saying this and like how do we go about that um, and I think that's so important, not just for, like, me backseating, like, all of the privileges that I hold and making sure that I'm letting other people come to the forefront of that conversation, but also just, like, even outside of, like, different identities that folks hold, like, people are going to feel differently about certain words. Like, people are going to have some different opinions about these things because a lot of the terminology we're using isn't like found in the dictionary and doesn't have like a pinpointed definition. Um, so it's always, I mean, I don't think any of like the advocacy work that I do would make any sense if I did it in a vacuum, right? Like none of it mm -hmm. would work if I was just coming from my own perspective and moving on my own opinions. Like, 75 to 85% of my advocacy work is shutting up and listening, right? <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. the majority of the work that I do is research and is like being a sponge for what other people are talking about and the ways that those people are talking. Yeah. And is do you see the Transliteracy Project as like how you got started into the, your advocacy work or what was that journey for you? I mean, I would say that that's the first, like, big public broadcast I had of this kind of work. Um, it's funny, actually, like, if we're talking about, like, the, like, origin story of me, like, doing this kind of stuff, I, when I was a freshman in college, I was choreographing the show at my high school, um, and my director was teaching a class on like social issues that I had taken, but with a different teacher. And he, there was like, like marriage equality was like in the curriculum for the class. And this was before marriage equality had been passed. Mm -hmm. um, and he was like nervous about like teaching about it and seeming like biased because he was gay and like didn't know if he could like, talk about it without seeming like he was trying to like sway the students or anything like that and like jokingly I was like do you want me to come talk to them and he was like oh my god could you <laughs> and I was, was like, like oh. I mean okay 
and I went and I basically just like told what at the time was my coming out story um and I was just like talking and I watched as I was talking like the girl in the corner who said some like homophobic things at the beginning of the period by the end of the period she was on board and she understood it and I watched like kids in the corner who were laughing at me when I first walked in actually like nodding and agreeing by the end of what I was saying and I was like oh (laughs) this is effective like I can just like (laughs) tell my stories and actually change people's hearts and minds um and so then that's like part of everything that I do now right (laughs) like every like I was saying that most of the writing Mm -hmm. I do comes from my own perspective because like that's what I found most effective in the ways that I teach material that I teach today um it's in the trans literacy project like we tried to make that as like human as possible so that you could like actually care about the human experience of being trans and or non-binary um outside of it just being a list of terminology and like do's and don'ts um but yeah I mean I just I basically found that like the more I talked to people about being a human being and like relating on like an emotional level the more effective it was and the more likely people were to like latch on to the narrative do you have advice for people who might be inspired to do something similar and tell their story or get more into advocacy work how could they get started (sighs) small start small i started in like a classroom of probably 20 25 kids um i i think social media is a great platform for doing a lot of this kind of work but i also know that it can be scary to do something in such like a big public way so fast um and i did a lot of really small quiet private practicing before i got as loud as i am you know, before I got as public as I am. Um, And so that looks like, I mean, if you don't have like the opportunities to like speak in front of a class like that and things, I also encourage folks to like fight with somebody's racist uncle on Facebook, right? Like fight (laughs) in the comments on TikTok and things because it, you're never gonna, like the goal is not to change that person's mind because you're probably not going to get there, but you learn what's effective to say and what gets people riled up and like what is de-escalating and what is triggering and like what works and what doesn't and you learn what works for you and what doesn't work for you you can learn your own boundaries and then if it goes too far you can just block the person and disengage right um that's honestly i did that for a while and learned ways that i was like oh, this person is actually listening to these points because I've set them up in this way or something like that. And it's not a foolproof method, obviously. Like, some people are going to listen to certain things and some people aren't going to listen because they're just assholes. But, like, (laughs) I found that it was a really good, like, trial and error practice for me. Um, Another thing I also offer folks, especially if you're speaking about things that aren't affecting you personally, because like 
there's the kind of advocate who advocates for themselves. And like I was saying, like telling your own stories is like part of that. But then there's also advocacy work that I've moved into doing that is obviously speaking outside of my own experience and speaking up for and uplifting voices that aren't mine um, and speaking up with other people where in situations like if I'm talking about like racial injustices or disability rights or anything that like doesn't affect me personally, I never talk about something that I haven't heard from at least three people who identify with the group I'm talking about. I'll never say something that is like my opinion because my opinion in that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And always be ready with the resources of those three people you heard it from. <laughs> uh, like always be ready to like um, back up your story with perspectives of folks who are directly impacted by what you're talking about. Um, because there's a lot of pushback. I mean, especially, I mean, I've been on TikTok recently because that's how I've been filling the void of theater not being with us. Um, and I've gotten a lot of pushback for speaking up about racism on there from other white people telling me that I'm racist because I say the phrase white people and things <laughs> like that. Um, what? <laughs> because they think that naming race is segregation. It's fine. Um, okay. But, <laughs> but it's a thing where I'm like, I'm not up there just being like, I think that this is how we should run things. Like, I think this is how, like, I listen to Black and Indigenous folks and organizers for a number of years on their experiences in the world and, like, the ways that they've navigated the blatant systemic racism of our country and world. Um And I've learned in that work that my voice does matter in that situation because some white people are only going to listen to another white person. And so Mm -hmm. I've learned doing that, that sometimes holding privilege means you do have to speak up. And there's a difference between speaking up with a community and speaking over that community. Um, And that's like a fine line to draw, but... I mean, there's always going to be pushback. People are calling me a white savior when I try to speak out against racism, even though I'm literally doing what people of color have asked me to do. (laughs) Like, literally, directly, some people of color have personally asked me to say some of the things that I'm saying. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to keep doing that, and I'm going to keep doing that work because I've learned that it is effective, and the people I'm getting pushback from are not my target audience, right? They're just gonna, they're looking for a reason to be aggressive and they're going to be agitated no matter what I say. So yeah, I guess my advice is like, learn your comfort zone, get very good at your comfort zone, and then figure out steps and ways that you can leave that comfort zone and take a little more risk to advocate outside of yourself and your own experiences and communities. That's that great. was a long-winded Thanks. answer to your yeah, question. Really no, it's a <laughs> complex thing to deal with. So thank you yeah. for that. I have a lot of feelings. In case that's not clear, I have a no, lot of feelings. No, it's great. About that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and now zooming out a little bit more on advocate on your advocacy work, like 
are there any steps that you're most excited to see or you have seen um, the theater industry specifically take to make spaces safer and more welcoming for trans and non-binary gender non-conforming folks? (laughs) (laughs) There are steps that I've seen. Mm. There are not steps that I'm excited to have seen. Mm. There's performance. There's um, lip service. And there's very little follow through. Um, I've been using the example recently when talking about this. Um, I was recently called in recently. This was probably like two years ago now because when is the last time I went to an audition? That um, means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but like recently within the last three years. Sure. Um, but I was called in for a musical that was an all woman cast And all of the voice parts were very high, belty roles. And I listened to the music, and I emailed my manager back, and I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, they know I'm a tenor, right? And, like, I'm being generous when I call myself a tenor. (laughs) Um, And they were like, just do your best. And I was like... Oh, gosh. My best isn't even part of this world, okay? Don't get Um, hurt. (laughs) And, like, I sang my music, like, sung in a key that's comfortable for me. And then the casting director, as soon as I was done singing, the first thing the casting director asked was, what's your highest belt? And I was like, I don't know, my waist? Like, I, it's not going to be <laughs> high enough for you. I know what this show is. I know what this material is. And I know you're not going to change these keys for me because this is the kind of show that's built on, like, vocal Olympics. Mm-hmm. And it's much more about what they're singing than it is about, like, what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, it's cute that you, like, brought me in to like pat yourselves on the back that you saw a trans girl, but like you wasted my morning. You wasted my evening preparing for this audition. You wasted my time because you could have looked me up on YouTube and known that I don't have the range you need. Mm-hmm. All like, just so they can simple. check a box for themselves. So they or can feel better. pat themselves on yeah. the back, right. And, like, there are trans girls who can sing that music, but, like, you could easily look me up and see that I don't have that voice, and I'm not a person who can sing that music. Yeah. I like to believe that I can. (laughs) I'm working (laughs) towards it. Because, like, I feel like they're going to call me back at some point when, like, Broadway is back up and running. So I've been... Sorry to my neighbors, but I've been trying. (laughs) But it's a matter of, like, there's certain stuff that, like, I get called in for that I'm just like, you are so proud of yourself for Mm -hmm. auditioning me. But you're auditioning me for you, not for me. You're auditioning me so that you can say that you did, not so you can cast me. You're auditioning me so that you can say you tried. But if you keep auditioning me for things that I'm not right for you're going to keep thinking that trans and non-binary people aren't at the same caliber as cis actors, where there are things that I am freaking right for. And there is a show that I was up for um, at the end of 2019 that the casting director I know and 
has cast me on TV before, actually. Um, and in, like, theater stuff, he usually brings me in for, like, whatever trans role he has at the time, and I'm never right for it. Like, I'm right in terms of identity, but never in terms of, like, character and energy. Um, and then he brought me in for this show, and it wasn't a trans role. And I came up to him, like, when he came out to bring me into the room, I went up to him and I was like, this is what I do. This is what I'm good at. And he was like, what? And I was like, you see me for a lot of things that are, like, trans roles that I'm not good for. This is what I'm good for. And he was like, great, okay. And I went in for the audition, and he walked me out of the room, and he was like, this is what you're good at. (laughs) (laughs) And I made it to the final callbacks for that. um, Because it was a role I'm good for, right? But it didn't specify that it needed to be a trans person. So with another casting director, I don't think I would have been in that audition. I don't think I would have gotten in that room. But because he had already cast me on TV, where they're a little more accepting usually, he had me on his list and brought me in. And I was good for it. Where I need theater to be doing that more often. I need casting directors to be bringing me in only when they're seriously considering me. I, and I don't know if it is necessarily the casting directors or if the casting directors are seriously considering me and the directors aren't or like what that situation is. But at this point, I can basically tell when I read a breakdown whether or not they'd actually consider me. Literally to the point that the last gig that I booked, I read the breakdown and I was like, oh, I should really get ready for this because they're going to cast me. And I knew (laughs) reading the breakdown that I was going to book the show. Wow. And you just, I feel like you see more and more and you always like, I'm I'm happy to see it, but I'm worried about the genuineness of more and more press releases about how shows are casting. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm glad that, this dialogue is happening but at the same time is this your checkbox moment and then you're gonna have like five people in for each category that you listed and then that's that's the end of it and but because you made a public press release announcement you feel like okay people saw that so we're we're good to go but i don't know also like after something is cast because i also think about like if i booked that show that i was talking about that i like told the casting director this is what i do it wasn't intended for a trans person, but if I booked that, would the show then make a press release about the fact that they cast a trans person? Like, would I just be a mouthpiece for their diversity quota? It's like you can never, yeah, you can never like feel like it's a genuine good choice that anyone is making. And that's so hard on on you as an artist too, is like never. And, you know, people of color experience this, too. It'd be like, oh, am I actually in the room because you wanted me here or just, yeah, because, you know, you needed my face or my gender or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I It's also just, like, such a funny, unique experience for trans and non-binary folks, though, because I speak to, like, a lot of actors of color where, like, they all know the, like, five people who look 
exactly like them who go in for all of the same roles kind of a thing mm-hmm. they're like some roles for trans actors i am in there with people of all different genders of all different races and ethnicities and i'm just like what are they looking for <laughs> right <laughs> it's just like we have no idea because they're just like trying to like prove that they saw people where like there was a a year there was for a while a couple of auditions that like me Shakina Nafak um MJ Rodriguez and Anish Sheff were like in the same auditions oh my goodness (laughs) and we were like we're a cute cast of something but like how are we all up for the same role here right you're a great show together very different people (laughs) very different energies very different like it would also like really shift who you cast to play opposite us based on which one of us you cast in the thing like and we're just like how are how how am i showing up at the same auditions as a new chef like <laughs> how is this productive like, for the casting director everything is just like you're just you're just looking for the fact that you have a trans person like and like luckily anish has booked most of the stuff that we've been in for the same role because <laughs> she's usually right for it and i'm just like I could have slept in today. Like, I could have not showed up to this audition. Um, I want to jump to um, the Transgender Training Institute that you're a part of. Yes. And can you tell us about your work there? And then you have some upcoming webinars that I, I know we want to shout out to. Yeah. Um, the Transgender Training Institute, I've been working with them for about three years now. Um I actually went to one of their trainings in 2017, and then about a year later, the founder, Eli Green, called me and offered me a job, um, (laughs) where we basically, like all of what I was talking about with the Trans Literacy Project, um, we do that kind of work in person, um, and now virtually, offering professional development and personal growth trainings for people who want to learn how to be more affirming and supportive of the trans and non-binary people in their lives and in their worlds. Um, And so we offer a wide range of programming that has significantly grown in the past year of what we offer. Um, (laughs) The majority of our work used to be like client-based trainings where we would like go into companies and offices and things. Um, And that's kind of completely shifted because of COVID where now, um, we are offering more direct courses that people can sign themselves up for. And we have a line of courses that are available that range from like five hours to like four day trainings Um, and like little webinars that I think run as short as 30 minutes and as long as 90 minutes. I'm not exactly sure. I know the shortest is 30 minutes because I do those ones. <laughs> and I should know more about this because I'm also our marketing coordinator, so I should really know that. Um, but then we have an ally and advocate training camp program that we do um, that is a three-day session that usually is in person um, where we talk about the best ways to show up as an ally and an advocate. Um And we found a lot of theater, film, and TV people were showing up to those trainings. 
um, specifically intimacy directors and intimacy coordinators were showing up. Um, and so Eli kind of turned to me during this pandemic and was like, do you want to do a course for those people? And I was like, "Amazing! yes, I do. What? <laughs> yes. And so I got to build this course for supporting trans actors and creatives um, where we spend two days talking about what representation looks like for trans and non-binary folks and what happens to an actor when they have to play some of the grosser sides of that representation and what it looks like when trans people are trying to decide whether or not they fit a casting breakdown and ways that we can support people when they're on the job and ways that we can make sure our sets and our stages and our rehearsal rooms are accommodating and affirming for trans and non-binary people. Um, and we had our first cohort um, in the middle of February and it was honestly like one of my favorite things that I've ever gotten to do in my life and my career because <laughs> um, it's kind of like marrying my two loves and it's like making the world a better place um just like a handful of people at a time and our next go of it is May 5th and 6th I believe um and it's five hours each day so it's a 10-hour course overall um where we really get together and chat about experiences in the industry and the ways that um, we can speak up for and make sure we're making places accommodating and safe for trans and non-binary actors and other colleagues and creatives as well. Amazing. Uh, so how do folks learn more and, and sign up for this? Yeah, so you can go to transgendertraininginstitute.com um, or find us on social media, um, we have all different social media handles based on the platform because our <laughs> name is so weirdly long and doesn't, <laughs> um, but it's usually some version of like at trans underscore training underscore Institute. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, you can sign up directly on our website um, where there's like a tab for courses and then you can find our event right, right through there. Awesome. And I know we're short on time, but I definitely want to get your answer for queering the canon because I'm very <laughs> curious. Um, so <laughs> you have lots of ideas, we know, to queer some musicals. But what do you think are the most exciting ideas for you today? And how would you dreamcast yourself in a musical? So actually, a lot of what I've been doing in this pandemic, like I wasn't joking before when I said, like, I've been expanding my range and I've been like finding roles written for women in musicals that I could play right now. So like literally this question is like very pertinent for me right now. <laughs> um, where like I've, I, over the summer I did uh, an interview with Live at the Lortel on their podcast. And I talked about um, the idea of Cinderella being trans and that I need a regional theater or somebody to cast me as Cinderella in Into the Woods. Um, because if stepmother and stepsisters are just non-affirming and won't let her present as femme as, at home, and then she goes to the ball to be who she is, especially in Into the Woods, um, because On the Steps of the Palace has some really beautiful language that really um, 
adds nuance if like a trans girl is playing her um specifically like what if he knew who you were when you know that you're not what he thinks that he wants oh my god (laughs) (laughs) then how can you know who you are till you know what you want what you don't so then which do you pick like there's so much for her there yeah um and also ends up making a lot more sense of like why the prince doesn't just like recognize her face when he goes to her house wow because like if she just like isn't allowed to present femme it can be a little more muddling for her instead of her just like being like poor so he doesn't know who she is (laughs) right (laughs) i mean still like it still doesn't like connect all the dots yeah um, this needs to happen though (laughs) i've been playing with like there's so many roles because a lot of what makes a musical great is that like identity conflict and the like coming of age-ness that like a trans lens is so easy to put on like all of those narratives and so like i've been saying since the deaf west revival of spring awakening i've been saying that the only thing they were missing was mj rodriguez playing ilsa and that mm-hmm. ilsa's a trans girl that girl spoke up about her abuse got kicked out of society and went and joined an artist colony you want to come <laughs> up a trans girl? she's also like the lowest voice written for a woman in modern musical theater mm-hmm. mm, ilsa's trans um, <laughs> Supportive. <laughs> but like I've also been playing around I play a lot of children, so I've also been playing around with like Logan Schwartz and Grubinier in the twenty fifth annual Putnam County Spelling Bee <laughs> and Little Sally in You're in Town. Mm. And just like all of these like fun kind of like shrieky <laughs> roles that I can squawk out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love I want all of these to happen. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you know any casting directors looking for <laughs> some innovative projects when we can have them happening in live again uh, i love it way to find me. <laughs> um and then switching to our queer culture rec uh outside of theater what's your queer culture indulgence <sighs> i mean so outside like outside of theater obviously everything is outside of theater these days yeah. um but i haven't been honestly able to like take in much as of late um because I just moved new to a new city actually and I've like um been working and like my capacity's been very low for really in taking like anything that's not just scandal which I've been binging and that is not a queer recommendation at all. Um, however, I did unpack all of my books before any of my clothes. They look beautiful. They look beautiful. Oh, yeah. And a good Zoom background. So um, good. And in doing that, I was like, oh, there are some of these books that I haven't read in years. And some of these books I literally haven't ever read. Um, So currently, I um, am planning to actually go through and reread Redefining Realness and Surpassing Certainty. um, Because Janet Mock always, like, recenters me um, and reminds me why I do the kind of work that I do. Um, So that would be my current wreck for folks. Um, even if you have already experienced her writing, um, I think Jenna Mock is a person that you can like learn something new every time you read her books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. You love a book wreck. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so last but not least, for our queer gives, we would love to help support the work that you guys are doing at the Transgender Training Institute. Can you tell us a little bit about the fundraiser that's coming up? Yeah, so we um, started a GoFundMe basically to invite allies and accomplices to 
invest in the work that we're doing and to help us regain the losses that we had in 2020. So on March 9th of 2020, we lost about $150,000 worth of our um, income. Like I was saying, like we used to ride mostly on client-based trainings and all but one training got canceled in the month of March for us. Wow. Um, Like everything we had to do and we didn't think we were going to make it through the pandemic. Um, Luckily we did. um, And we did a lot of work to get there. Um, but we need a little help sustaining it. Um, and we're very proud to have made it as far as we have. Um, but we also have goals of sustainability and we have goals of being a company that contributes to a more equitable, just, and affirming world. And unfortunately that doesn't come cheap. Um, And we don't want to ask our staff to be working for less than they are worth because there's a lot of emotional labor that goes into the kind of work that we do. Um, And so in order to stay at the caliber that we're working at, we're asking folks to invest. Um, So we have a GoFundMe that you can find on our website um, that is just asking for whatever you have to donate. um, And or if you don't have the means to donate monetarily, Everything that we do and like most of our marketing is word of mouth. So if you can share a post of ours on social media or um, let folks know about the GoFundMe or even sign up for a training or like let your company know that this is a place that offers these kinds of trainings, um, whatever you can do to help us get the word out would be super helpful. Awesome. Oh, wait, how do we follow you on social media? Oh, right. I'm a human. Um, (laughs) um, So I'm at Believe in Maybe on all social media platforms, Um, just like my name and then Believe in Me. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, maybe thank you so much for being here. It was so nice to reconnect with you. Likewise. It's so good to see your face. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks again, Maybe. This has been awesome. Thanks for listening. If you like, please follow, rate, and review us and share us with your friends. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Thesis on Joan. We love to hear your queer culture recs and ideas for queering the canon. Send us an email at thesisonjoan at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251. Come back for more interviews, fun queer content, recommendations, and discussions on current theater. Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do. (laughs) Oh, we were loving your Easter pictures, by the way. Thank you. It was ridiculous. We tried to get him to walk Mm -hmm. through the neighborhood with the ears, and he just kept kicking them off. (laughs) I was not having it. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.